The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. We're a crazy football family, and we talk about men's legs and butts. This podcast has more hands, legs, legs and butt, butt talking no, than any. No doubt. Yeah. We, are, we are winning that war there, for sure. Yeah, what's up? Speaking of legs and butt, here's two white guys who don't have much <laughs> legs and butt. <laughs> you may. Uh, I don't really. I try to work on it. I yeah. do. I try to get in the weight like room and do that. Squats, deadlifts. Yeah, still? squats, lunges. You don't I, still squat. I do. Really? I go into every workout going butts and guts is every workout. And then I either do a push or a pull with it. But I'm not going to become one of these, you know, Johnny weight room guys who his arms are bigger than his legs. Like, I refuse to do that. I refuse to be that man. So you, do you have squat day? Like, I do. Go there and do it? Yeah. How much? How much you put in your No, back? see, I do smart squats now. It'd be like kettlebells, front squats with big dumbbells, things like that. Like the days of me putting 300 pounds in my back. It's 300. Negative Ghost you know, you, Rider. You, you, you squat at 48, the air squat. Yeah, the, yeah, the air Have squat. Have you incorporated that one yet? I, well, for my warm-ups, yes, okay. but not for my normal workout, okay? Right. But coming. what's up? What's up? We're back. Podcast. It's Wednesday edition. You know what's coming. It's deep dive, draft style. We're going to get into the cornerbacks, uh, which is a very interesting class. Uh, a lot of depth there, certainly. And we're going to break down some of the top guys in there and some other guys that maybe we left out, and I'll explain why. I left them out, uh, but regardless, and uh, hey, please, I, I always enjoy the interaction, and I know we got some interaction <laughs> from, from uh, some of my past judgments and uh-huh. defense end, so where always. are we starting here? Mm-hmm. Where are we starting? Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to those lists, and by the way, you've been very good about me you know, kind of sorting through and saying, but why this? You said this. I need that. I need I you to it, challenge yeah. me. I need you to ask questions that the people out there would ask, and as you evaluate, sometimes you get stuck in the weeds. True. And this yeah. is what happened with last week, especially the defense end position. Is that where we're going to start here? Well, I, we're not starting there. Yeah. See, it okay. is on, on the intended okay. list of All topics right. to get to. And I know that there might be a change from last yes. week. I'm looking forward to, to seeing that officially. Yeah. Before we talk draft, right. how about the, the Oakland Raiders quarterback situation going on right now? Yeah. I, I immediately think of you because we all have opinions on the fact that the Raiders leaders are going out to fly to see Kyler Murray, yes. to see Dwayne Haskins, right. taking that level of interest uh, to whatever it means, in a month or so, we, we, we see that if you're with us on YouTube, a tweet there. Uh, they are there with Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, they also spent time with Dwayne Haskins in the same way. Yes. We all have opinions about this, but yeah. you have played quarterback for John Gruden. I've so been there. You can add a layer to it. Yeah. And I'm sure Derek Carr has opinions as well. He has tweeted out, this right here is very interesting. And again, if you can't see it, if you're with us only in the podcast, He's in his full uniform, and he's pointing to his eyes like, I see you. I know like, what you're doing. Right. Like Robert De Niro looking at, yeah, exactly. Gay, like, like looking at Gaylord M. Fokker saying, I see you, Fokker. I see you. Right. So that's exactly what he's doing. Um, what okay. would you say to Derek Carr? Yeah. Okay. So the, this is what I would say to Derek Carr. You know, the, the big thing is, hey, John Gruden, you're going to learn a lot of football from him. He's got unbelievable passion. I learned a ton of ball under him myself. But at the same time, he demands and expects a lot out of the quarterback position. He always used to use the phrase with me, hey, you know, if I give you the keys to the Ferrari, I I don't want any scratches on it. And that's how he looks at his offense. It's his little Ferrari that, you know, he polishes in the the garage every day after it gets done. He wants it to to work and, and be orchestrated like some beautiful machine. So he puts the pressure on the quarterback to do that. Now, within doing that, you have to have thick skin. And unless you're the MVP of football at the quarterback position, He's just the type of guy that is always going to be looking 
at the quarterbacks, if he can improve the position, is there anybody out there that I'm missing? He is very hard to satisfy that way. My advice to be with Derek, with Derek Carr is this. Stop paying attention or reacting to this crap. But how could you not? You are the starting quarterback. I get that. They have reinvested yes, in you. Sure. Uh, with millions of dollars, paid you like you're the franchise quarterback. Right. So, so there you said it. They've paid him like he's the franchise quarterback. Just have confidence in that for right now. You're not going to be able to get involved in John Gruden's brain and, and re-talk him out Wouldn't of Wouldn't you be a little bothered by it? I, of course, would be bothered by it. I would, but, as a, but what he has to do is take it in a competitive way and not let it filter into his football game or his preparation for what he needs to do this season. Yes, I was always bothered. I mean, every draft, I, nobody, I don't believe any quarterback played for John Gruden longer than I did. Really? I, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. How I, many years? I was six years, five and a half. Okay. I'm the record holder, I believe, from that standpoint. So mm -hmm. I got an inside look on him on a daily basis. I was there when we had five quarterbacks in the room. We were talking about adding Brett Favre. I was in other years where I've told you we had six or seven quarterbacks in the room, and I go, I don't know how we're going to get reps in OTAs today. I don't right. even get that. How are we going split, to split this up? How are you going to evaluate us? But He's always looking for better. And with Derek Carr, it is. Part, part of being an NFL quarterback is having the tunnel vision to go, I'm not going to be affected by outside noise. I'm going to worry about what I have to worry about on the football field. And, hey, John Gruden, sure, he might be looking at quarterbacks. But the end of the day, he has to worry about himself because I know what I got kind of entranced with a little bit in my second year. You start to, you start to worry about Gruden too much to where – you're trying to prove him wrong or do something on a daily basis, but it's based around your anger or frustration with him for not recognizing your talent. And I noticed that when I had little moments like that, those are the days I didn't have good practices or anything like that. Sure. And to me, that's what Derek Carr has to do. He has to realize that, again, I have a psycho as a coach, okay, as far as come, when it comes to quarterbacks, and I can't worry about all of this. At the end of the day, he is going to be judged about what he does on the field this year. This is a big year for him, um, and I, I just think, have to try to block that noise out. Here's what I think. I, yeah. I think most of what happens to a starting quarterback, yes. the mental toughness and the thick skin and just being a pro, is a level most of us will never have. Right. And I think the majority of things that come up throughout his day, throughout his week, fall under that. But when you are the guy, yep. you're still in your 20s. Sure. You've been led to believe you're the guy, and the leadership – is going out and spending time with other quarterbacks, I think you have a right to make a call or sit down with a, with a coach in his office, shut the door and say, hey, I'm going to keep doing my thing. Yeah. I'm going to keep working the way I always work. But can you tell me what's going on? Has he, has he earned the right to do that? He has earned the right. Should he do and that? I, he, he, he can t text message, hey, can, we, can I talk to you? I would hope that John Gruden's already had these conversations with him. Sure. To tell him. Do you really, think he has? Probably not. Because mm -hmm. he probably goes, you're the quarterback, and you just worry about quarterbacking the football team. What would be the right thing for Derek to do? To do that? I'm just quarterbacking the team. I'm a pro. I'm going to deal with it. Or should he walk down to the office, shut the door, and say, Coach, can you, can you tell me what's up here? No, I, I think the best thing he can do is just be quiet, keep your nose down, and go play football okay. and not worry about it. And I understand, like, he's not wrong if he went and go and said, like, what's going on? Can you talk to me mm -hmm. here? You're not going to get a straight answer. So you're wasting your time there. I mean, I just don't think so. John Gruden, the Raiders, I don't think they know what they want to do yet. I honestly think they are doing their due diligence in case one of these quarterbacks is on the board at four. And, oh, gosh, wow, we've evaluated him. I didn't expect him to be here. Hey, if Kyler Murray's on the board at four, I would worry if I'm Derek Carr. He's, that he's not going to be. Well, I wouldn't think he is. Yes, exactly right. So, but that would be the one player I'd worry about. Dwayne Haskins, I think they're just doing their due diligence uh, as far as evaluating the quarterbacks as a whole. Gruden's already got to see Drew Locke at the Senior Bowl and spend time with him there. Him. So he knows the player there. He knows Daniel Jones a little bit. I just think these two he wanted to do a little bit deeper dive into to see what they were all yeah, about. I'm going to raise my hand on yeah. just doing yeah. the due diligence. Yeah. Doing due diligence is taking that 15-minute meeting at the combine, mm -hmm. getting to know him, maybe going to his pro day. Loading up and taking your decision-makers to campus to do extra work with them isn't due diligence to me. It's, it's a, a level extra that shows real interest. Well, no, I think you're right. It is a level extra. It's a deeper dive of due diligence. You're right. It's more than the topical meeting, right? But I think what they're doing, too, is they're, they're taking all things into account, which is, gosh, what happens if Dwayne Haskins is on the board at, you know, with one of our late first-round picks? Think he will you know? be? No, I don't. I think somebody will make the move at least in the, in the mid-teens or something like that 
realistically, but I think they're playing for that what if and go, you know, oh gosh, he's here at 27 and we have him as the seventh best player on the big board. Why you would know? it matter though if you loved your quarterback? No, I don't know either. I don't I don't know that. I think again, I think it would be more of a future thing with John Gruden as far as his investing time into looking at these players to go, okay, if I don't have Derek Carr two or three years from now, then and what if Dwayne Haskins becomes a free agent? All of that. But I don't know those answers. I really don't. And I think to Derek Carr, his best play is to continue forward, not worry about these things. One of the beauties about John Gruden, I would say, is this. The fact that he puts pressure on you all year long, I know when I played in football games, I felt no stress at all. Because I was so glad that we were out of the practice environment and he wasn't seven feet behind me right. going, get out of the huddle, 10, 9, 8. And then I would say, set hut. He'd be like, he's open, throw it to a, you know, like, shut up. You're not playing quarterback. Just leave me alone. It was great when I got in the field. I was yeah. like, oh, gosh, this little freaking Napoleon that I have behind me all the time at practice is no longer out here on the field. So, hey, I understand Derek Carr is going to be bothered by it as a competitor, but I think, you know, his job is not to worry about those things and just be the best Derek Carr you can be because if John Gruden starts to invade your brain too much on a regular <laughs> basis, it's going to start uh, showing on the field and your preparation and everything you need to do to actually impress John Gruden. I know he was impressed with me when these rumors were going on, okay, and times that I basically showed like I was unaffected by it. Okay. I always had people show him, like, tell me that were close to him in the building that would go, hey, I mean, coach got a lot of respect for you. You just, you just want to play football. You just love football. And, yeah, even though I was really at home going, this fucking guy going to draft <laughs> another fucking quarterback. Fucking crazy, man. I knew when I walked in the building. It's not only the anger, it's the confidence yeah. that it affects, though, too, right? It, it, def it definitely bit. can affect all of those things because you go, man, what's wrong with me? What's, what's, what didn't I just threw, like, 40 awesome passes yesterday in practice. Right. You know, who the fuck do you think you can bring in here that's going to do better than that? But that's just the way he is, and especially at the quarterback position, it's – it's always uh, a little bit of a circus with John. You glad you invited me on today? Oh, always. Yeah. Yes. The final one about Derek Carr. Early May, are we talking about Derek Carr leading the team, or is there going to be a first-round quarterback no, in the I'm, building? No, I'm going to think it's going to be Derek Carr. All I right. think Derek Carr will be there. I think John Gruden still took this job because of Derek Carr. Uh, I, like I made the point before, Greg Olson was there. The offensive coordinator of the Raiders was there when they drafted Derek Carr. I know he thought extremely – uh, he thought very highly of Derek Carr and his play and what he could be on the football team. Um, you know, but Derek Carr, this is a big year for him. There's no doubt about that. If this is a, just a so-so year by the Raiders and this offense and he doesn't lead them to some victories, then I can promise you that this will be real next year and John Gruden will be looking for another quarterback. Hey, he's had two years of being injured and below average play ever since he signed this big contract. You know, it's, you're, you're going to have to earn it here in year three. And they haven't had any kind of postseason no, success, no success at all, at which all. is the way, you know, for better or worse, yeah, you're going to be judged. Right. All right, let's transition from the quarterback situation in Oakland to Quinn and Williams. And I saw you tweeted yesterday when uh -huh. you were watching film of the right. Alabama defensive yep. lineman, how much you love him. I have Chris's notes here. Yeah. And the second line starts this way. I mean, holy shit. I, when, I, when I start saying that, because <laughs> it was one of those things where I had to turn off the tape to go, wait, am I watching a highlight tape or a game? Um, and you, you always liked him. What what about seeing him in the last few days took your level to the yeah. your interest level to the next? Yeah, because what I level. do at first is I watch like POAs, which is called for all those out there a point of attack film, right? Which is kind of basically like a highlight tape in itself. So that's what I did at first. Just let me get a gauge for the player, know what he is. Now in the last few days, I've done let me watch three games and really dig into the player and watch what he's all about. Um, there's no weakness to his football game, none. And I think what I expected to see on film was a guy that's extremely athletic but might have trouble in some of the power situations. Oh, he's playing nose tackle. You can't be this athletic and then be able to handle a double team and a, you know, a center guard double team and hold your ground. Well, damn, uh, he does it every time. He can play nose tackle if you needed him to, but he's a phenomenal three technique. He's unblockable. And, and as far as rushing the passer in one-on-one -on -one situations with guard and centers, it's unblockable. Compare him right now to what you saw from Aaron Donald coming out. This is the best, since I've been in this business of evaluating players, it's the best interior D lineman I've ever seen on film. Better than Donald was. Better than Donald in college. Because in college with Donald, I had some of those concerns with the double teams where I said, damn, 
you know, when he gets double teamed, yeah, he's 280 pounds. There's some holes that open up, and there's still holes that open up with the Rams. The Rams were in the 20s as far as stopping the run defense right. this year. Quinnen Williams is a very rare person of extreme athleticism like an Aaron Donald or a Warren Sapp who can beat you with speed and quickness but also has the ability to win with power and hold his ground. And I am big on what do your negative plays look like? And Quinn and Williams' negative plays are just stalemates at the line of scrimmage. And to me, that's a big thing. And I understand why people were saying he might be the top player in the draft. He's certainly in that conversation for me. I mean, him, Bosa, Kyler Murray, I think you can make a case for any three of those guys being the best player in the draft. It sounds like you're describing the best player in the draft to you. Yes, okay. yeah, yeah. It's, he's, he's, right, he's right up there. So yeah. the Cardinals at one yeah. should do what? The Cardinals at one, I'm not going to back down from this. You take Kyler Murray. I think he's that special. I okay. do. You know, yes, could they use a Quinnen Williams? Certainly. Um, there's no doubt about that they could use that on their defense. But I think Kyler Murray is, has a chance to be a transcendent-type player in the NFL to almost to the point where, oh, yeah, it's Cliff Kingsbury and he's figuring out his scheme and how he wants to be a head coach and his offense to run in college football. This guy can make it work with – maybe not great talent on the offensive side of the ball and a great scheme yet because he's such a top-tier thrower of the football and a top-tier athlete. You like Quinnen Williams so much because he was nice to us on the phone and said he was going up to see his grandmother on her birthday. and that was the I don't let that stuff. I don't let that stuff. I like that was icing on the cake. And, yeah, to that point, like I said, I had only seen the POA tapes and Mm -hmm. things like that. So I didn't really know how awesome he was on, on a full scope of things right. until just the last few days, really. And, uh, no, I don't get biased like that. I don't. And our producer, Matt Casey, would tell you. <laughs> I, I, because sometimes he's like, oh, we're having a – we might, you know, have this guy on the, po- on, on the pod as a guest. And I'm like, oh, well, he's not going to like where I ranked him in, in the <laughs> positional rankings. You might want to tell him that before he comes on here and hates me forever. So, wow. yeah, I try not to be biased always. That's good. I try, good you have to. Had he been a jerk, you would have liked him just as I much. I liked him just as much. No, no, no doubt about it. I'm going to set Quinn and Williams aside for now, but we will have, or Chris will have, full rankings, yeah. uh, one through five, maybe one through eight of yep. all the interior right. defensive linemen. That's coming up, coming up next, next week. Coming up next week. Yeah. Let's stay with the defensive front seven yep. and move to the uh, is edge rushers, edge rushers last week. Yeah, right. And after talking about it, I said, you know, it sounds like you might need to, to make a couple changes there at three and four. And for all of you who are with us on YouTube, you can watch. There's our new... One through seven, it reads Nick Bosa at one, Rashawn Gary two, Montez Sweat three, Josh Allen at four. There's the flip-flop at three and four. Right. Five, Brian Burns, Florida State six, Jalen Ferguson, Louisiana Tech seven, Cleland Farrell or Furl, however you would like to say that, he is at seven. Yes. There's your one through seven. All right. The change. Yeah. Three and four. Right. How difficult was that? It, it, it wasn't really that difficult. This is where I give you a lot of props, and this is where I need you sometimes. You know? You need me. That's I nice. do. I need you. I need you, especially on a Wednesday, okay? <laughs> but, yeah, I think, you know, you made the point as I was speaking about the players. You said, man, it sounds like you like Montez Sweat better than Josh Allen. And when we got done with the podcast, I went back and read my notes again and went through them, and I went, I mean, yeah, my notes read that Montez Sweat is better than Josh Allen and that I think he has better uh, prospects uh, or better better high-end ceiling in the NFL than a Josh Allen does. And again, it's not always about stats and what you did in college. The college game is different than the NFL. And how is your game going to translate to the NFL is a big part of evaluating. And I think that is my concern with Josh Allen. And I know that's the one I get pushback from from the public, but I can tell you this, Burmeister, yeah. is when I let these rankings out, man, did I have a lot of friends in the NFL who were like, man, I'm glad to hear you say really? that about Josh Allen. Cause, you say friends in the NFL, like people who evaluate. Yeah, who people are like, I have the same concerns, and everybody's got him as this slam dunk top two, top three pick. Well, listen, if he was a slam dunk top three pick and he was Khalil Mack, this is the first thing I would say to everybody if you want to connect dots in the football world. If, if, if people really thought he was Khalil Mack, the New York Jets would not be making statements were open to trade out of number three because if Josh Allen was the slam dunk number three they would stay there there there's no doubt about that because they need an edge pass rusher right. in the New York Jets it's probably their number one need so I think that was my first context clue let alone what I saw on film that concerned me and yes I have two concerns with Josh Allen 
One, he doesn't have elite bend bend ability, right? How we talked about. The ability to come around the pass edge like this with a 300-pounder. All the great pass rushers, I mean, 99 out of 100 have that ability. The other thing is his ability to play through contact or play with power. And in the NFL, he's just not going to beat people around the edge on a consistent basis with NFL offensive tackles with no bend and no power rush. And those are type of things that are hard to be taught and learned. It's either you have them or don't to a degree, right. and I worry about that. And now Montez Sweat, on the other hand. Hold on, hold on yeah, a okay, second. Go ahead. With Josh Allen, yeah. you dropped him from three to four, yeah. but it sounds like it doesn't sound like he is someone who should be as high as four. If he doesn't have the bendability, if you worry about him with contact, why is he even that? No, high? I think he's still an elite athlete, and he does have a – a elite position versatility. Hey, listen, he can play outside linebacker and be extremely special as far as setting the edge in the run, making tackles, coverage in space, and then he brings a pass rush ability to that because he's extremely athletic. But to say he's, oh, one of the top two or three picks in the draft, hands down, that's to me where I push back. Hey, top 10, okay, I can deal with that. Top 15, certainly, I think he's in that range. But I think everybody's just falling in love with the sack number mm -hmm. and not necessarily looking at the big picture of whether his game translates to the NFL and is really worth a top three pick. And I just don't think there's enough okay. disruption or being on the radar screen when I watch film on a play-by-play -play basis to be talked about in the group of some of these other guys. I want to get to some of this interaction. Yeah. We have tweets uh, yeah. here in a moment. But let's, let's finish off this flip-flop right. from three to four with Montez Sweat moving to three. Yeah. How high in the top ten do you see this guy? Yeah, going? no, I think Montez Sweat is a, a top ten pick for sure. I don't think – I just think with the measurables. And then, again, the things that I don't like on film for Montez Sweat are things that I go, they're coachable. That can happen. Like? He has no pass rush moves. He doesn't even know how to use his hands, okay? So when I see things like that, I go, that's just coaching. That's just somebody needs to teach him a few of these moves. He needs to be in an NFL environment where he's around other defensive ends who are going to talk about these type of things, and they work on them all year long throughout the year to where that's an easy adjustment. He's got Ben. He's got athletic ability. I see him in the run game. He's got tremendous power in the run game and things like that where I look at and just go, okay, I can fix those issues that he's got. Josh Allen, we're right. hoping he can maybe do it, but it's a lot tougher to fix what Josh Allen has issues with than Montez Sweat, in my opinion. I think it's great you point out how, much, how far coaching can go even for these guys who are becoming professionals. So who, who was your quarterback coach in the NFL? Yo, best I had best a, one you had. I had a few. Uh, Paul Hackett was probably the best one best I had. Best thing he taught you. Um, best thing he taught me, I think, you know, is really probably more footwork type of stuff. Like marrying my feet with my eyes was mm. a, a something yeah. that he talked about a whole lot. You know, okay, yeah, you know, you drop back, you, you take a five-step drop, you take a hitch, is the first guy open? No. When you're onto that second hitch, you should be looking to the second guy. Oh, you're on the third hitch, you should be looking at the third guy. Little things like that where, you know, oh, yeah, you know, sometimes I would just drop back and go, okay, I'm on the third hitch, but I know that first read's coming open anytime here. So he taught me things like that. And NFL environment can get the best out of players. And I'm not saying that that can't happen to Josh Allen. It certainly can, but just in my experience, it happens less with some of the issues he has. But guys like Montez Sweat, and you get there, and now you're around other alpha males, and you go, okay, wait, if I got to bring my next level, my next level of game is I got to incorporate a spin move, or I got to incorporate a swim move, or some hand fighting. You know, I think those things that, are, that can be learned, and I think that he can learn them fairly quickly because he is an exceptional athlete. All right. Uh, as for that reaction, have yeah. a list of Twitter responses oh, here about, we go. Your, here about we go. your edge rushers. Uh, let's go to the top about Nick Bosa. J.D. Mood 1 said, Bosa is overrated, bro. You're killing me. Sorry, man. I don't mean to kill you. I don't. I don't look at it as overrated at all, though. I mean, Bosa. Have you gotten any feedback from the uh, your, your friends in the NFL, as you said, that hey, maybe Bosa is rated too high? No, I have not. In fact, I don't know a friend I've talked to in the NFL who doesn't say he's hands down one of the three best players in the draft, if not one, one or two. I mean, so I don't think there's much discussion here right now. Arizona's going one with Kyler Murray. If they don't, should they go Williams? Or Bosa. Ooh, that is going to that will be a really good question. It's just going to be which one they need or value a little bit more. Like they have Chandler Jones, they might go. Oh, we don't need the pass rusher as much as maybe we need the interior defense alignment who can create a lot of havoc. Who, so that's who's more decision. likely to be an All-Pro player. Ooh, um, 
Oh, man, they're both good. They're both up there. But I guess I would go with Quinnen Williams. I think I would make Quinnen Williams the number one player as far as on the defensive side of the ball in the draft. Okay. Yeah. Rashawn Gary. Yeah. Incredible athlete. Right. Incredible. All kinds of potential. Yes. You had him rated where? Three. At, at number three. Yeah. A couple of responses. Oh, here. two. Excuse two. me. Sorry. Two. Yeah. We hear in your ear. Right. Two. All right. Rashawn Gary at two. <laughs> <laughs> Gary is all traits, no production. Another yes. one says uh, this is from. Apostic Baptist, I believe. Yeah. Gary is a great athlete, but his own teammate grades better than him as a pass rusher. So all these people would say, yeah, love the athlete, love the potential. I right. don't see the production. So, so Vinovich, great. So great. He, Vinovich, he's saying grades better as a pass rusher. So, 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 so again, I appreciate the feedback, but that's an, that's an insane statement, okay? Mm. Maybe he's got more sacks. Nobody's talking about Vinovich as being a top 10 pick, right. okay? Nobody, okay? So you could say what you want about the ability to get sacks, all those things. I understand the production thing and the stat line is all anybody wants to talk about it. But I said it last week. You know, I'm less about production and more about disruption, okay? Production doesn't always mean anything. I mean, I could show you, I could show you DBs in the NFL who had – they led the league in interceptions – doesn't mean they were even in the top 20 as far as corners in football. Just because the ball bounced up in the air and into their hand seven times doesn't mean, oh, man, they're incredibly, they're incredibly productive, those guys. That's unbelievable. No. Or if you fall into three or four sacks, I'm not going to go, wow. I mean, this guy's a sack artist. So Chiefs led the league in sacks. Exactly. Tell me how that worked out for them. Not so well. Yeah, right. They were only the worst defense, second to worst defense in football. I mean, right. So, yeah, it did absolutely nothing for them. I want a guy like Rashawn Gary who has unbelievable position versatility. He's unblockable. He ruins plays on a play-by-play basis almost as much as anybody I see in the draft other than Quinnen Williams. And your stat to, to represent that is? My stat to represent it is fuck him up plays. Yes. yes. And he would be one of, of the leaders. Yes. Again, I always use the, the, the guy I use is Michael Bennett. You know, hey, New England didn't just give Michael Bennett, like, more money because they were just like, ah, you're cool and here's more money. No, because Bill Belichick has watched film for seven years in a row going, damn, nobody can block this fucking guy. That's all it came down to. Nobody can block him. And I know we had to play him three times in New England. I'm being Bill Belichick right now, and he's going, all we worried about was can we block Michael Bennett? I was on the field for that. Was it the 2015 Super Bowl against Seattle? Yes, right. Yes. Here at NBC. And that was – you didn't have to be watching for more than a play or two to be like – Whoa. Exactly right. His stats, his yeah. stats wouldn't show that he was the best defensive player on the field in every game he basically plays in. Let's go to the bottom of your list. Yeah. Uh, Cleveland Furl, you had him at number seven. Right. right? Uh, yep. Joubert 22 says, watch him again, man. He has the highest floor of anyone other than Bosa. Yeah, I know. Again, you know, I like Cleveland Farrell. He, he plays hard. There's no huge glaring weakness to what he does, okay? So I always like that. I don't look at any one area of his game and go, oh, he's screwed if he gets in this scheme or gets against this type of offensive tackle or whatever it may be. No, it's really good. What I would just say is where there's nothing elite about Cleveland Farrell. That's where I would look at. You know, motor, having a high motor is not making you an elite football player. You know, he's got good quickness. He's got a good first step. You know, he has decent power, plays hard, but there's nothing that I jumps off the screen to me on a play-by-play basis to where I go, ooh, this is a special specimen right here who, with a little coaching or in the right environment, can explode. I don't see that. I see a guy that's kind of very close to his ceiling already and can use maybe a little refining and things like that. But at the very, at the very least, I think you're kind of seeing what you're going to get with Cleveland Farrell. Do you hold it against him when you're watching him on film and there are multiple likely first-round picks on that front seven that, yeah. uh, you know, that they have to worry about so many others that his job uh, – maybe is easier or different than other prospects? Right. Well, I think that's the thing you would do. You would go, well, his job should be easier, so maybe he should dominate more in some of these instances because teams are more worried about, damn, Christian Wilkins, damn, Dexter Lawrence in the middle. You know, you have all those things to worry about where, yeah, he did get a lot of favorable matchups at times. Uh, But – yeah, I, I don't hold that against him in any shape way. I look at him and only him and what he can do and beating tackles. And I just thought, hey, on a, on a play-by-play places, play basis, I didn't think disruption was there. And then even some of his sacks, I didn't look at them and go, wow, that was special right there. I went, oh, wow, that was a really dumb setup by the offensive tackle or the tackle slipped or, oh, somebody else got the pressure and he just kept hustling on the play right. and got the sack. And that's all fine and good, but it's not going to make me draft him in the top 20 of the NFL draft because he can do those things. All right, Jalen Ferguson, Louisiana yeah. Tech, you right. had him ranked 
Yeah, I, at, I had him ranked six above Clellan Farrell. Okay, six. Right? Uh, at Colts Talk asks, what do you have to say about Jalen Ferguson's horrible 5-1-2 shuttle and 8.083 cone? Yeah, it's, it's not pretty. And I mean, he's a big, lumbering man. I understand that. But uh, so I know he improved on some of those times. And if there's negatives, yeah, it can be a little bit slow-footed. I recognize that totally. He's our guy spot on there. Uh, what was his name? Colts Talk. Colts Talk. I like that. But, again, what he did have was some elite traits where I go, hmm, some of the guys that I, Claylon Farrell or some other guys, didn't have the ability to just run over the what right tackle. On a, his, his power, his ability to go speed to power and overpower offensive tackles, that, to me, was an elite. He could push the pocket and collapse it uh, as good as anybody in this draft, really. I mean, so that's how good he was, and let alone just winning with power all the time. He is a big physical presence on the end of the line of scrimmage. Tight ends try to block him, the negative ghost rider. He can throw them around like ragdolls. So those are the things I look at, and he did have good bend for a big guy. But, yes, foot quickness, you know, uh, you know, twitchiness certainly needs some improvement there. But, again, i just like to remind everybody, him running a three-cone – is not something that's really going to ever be asked of him in his life at defensive end or outside linebacker or whatever he plays in the NFL. The transition stop it, and start? I'm more worried about maybe 5-10-5, but him running a little tight, you know, down, back, tight circles around a cone like that, that to me, are, those are DBs, those are, those are corner drills, safeties, tight ends. Okay. I'm not necessarily going to be overly concerned about a three-cone drill with a defensive end slash big outside linebacker. All right, that's a little revisit to the top seven Defensive ends, we did that last week, and now our new one for this week. And again, next week on Wednesday, we're talking about the top interior defensive linemen. Yeah. Look forward to that one. And tonight, or today, cornerbacks. Yeah, cornerbacks. I see you're going seven, top seven cornerbacks. Before we get to the individual names, this group as a whole, it doesn't seem to be like a, seem to me like there's a sure top 20 pick. We're right. in the past multiple top 20 picks at corner. Is that, is that a right I, read on I think that's I think it's fair. There lacks uh, true eliteness in this group as compared to years past. And I think this is the way I would kind of say it right here. Um, I don't think any one corner is as good as the three corners that I – maybe there was more three corners that were drafted in the first round last year. Really? Yeah, I don't think any of them are as good as Denzel Ward, Jair Alexander, or Mike Hughes, who Minnesota took late in the first round. I think those three, if they were in this draft this year, would still be one, two, and three. Uh, and and you these would, would all be there. second round? These are all be second rounds or maybe second round, maybe late first, whatever it may be. But um, as you see, we'll crack through this. There's two guys that jump out to me, or three really, that I think are kind of in a class of their own. But the two at the top who I think are, you know, have the chance to at least be special at some point in the future in the NFL. We'll get to the top here, yeah. and we'll start at number seven. And yeah. this one I know. Me. Here we go. I don't read a lot of mock drafts. Yeah. But I have some friends where I respect what they know and they sure. do, and I don't see this name as low. No, I it's know. on your list. So at number seven from Georgia, DeAndre Baker. Yeah. I mean, I saw some of these mock drafts too. I thought DeAndre Baker was disappointing on the fact where I see everybody as ranking him the number two corner or number three corner or one of the top 25 or 30 players in the draft. I just can't disagree more. I don't know what else to say. He is a good football player. There's no doubt. But just because he's a good football player on one of the best teams in college football doesn't mean necessarily he's like one of the best players in the draft. I think people get too enamored with that. And with, with this specific player DeAndre Baker the biggest issue I have is raw pure speed yes he ran 4-5-2 at the combine and damn he plays probably slower than 4-5-2 on film to me yeah that's going to be an issue for where me. does that show up well it shows up when he's got to turn and run with big time receivers it shows up when he ba- he's in man-to-man situations and he bails real early before the snap because all he's worried about is, oh, I can't run with this guy, so I need to back off. And to me, that's really where the conversation starts for top-tier corners. If you can't run and be able to sit on receivers to a degree when they run the go route, right, and you, if you have to be always so worried about being on top of that, then everything underneath is going to be wide open. I mean, if a guy like DeAndre Baker has to cover, you know, the elite NFL receivers one-on-one, I mean, everything under 10 to 15 yards is going to be open because he's going to be so worried about protecting the uh, ability of, to go over the top on him. They are primi- primarily a zone team. 
that says a lot to me. Well, and that's what I highlighted yeah. and underlined of all your your notes here yeah. on him. Right. To me, he looks like a zone coverage cornerback. And that's not a first is, round. Is that corner? because of his speed? Yeah, it's, and because of what they ask him to do. I'm big into this. Kirby Smart's really smart. Okay, the head coach there. He's been around a lot of NFL defensive corners. Yeah. So, again, context clues of scouting. If the head coach in college doesn't trust the guy on an island, then why the hell would you draft him in the top 30 or the first round and think, oh, he's going to come in here and shut down A.J. Green when we need him to? That's why you draft a corner in the first round, to be that type of guy or be a standout slot type cornerback. Uh, so, this DeAndre Baker is a good football player. He tackles. He's Fearless. I like a lot of things about him, but top end speed and ability to burst at a transition. And all those, I'm going to stand up for a second, Annie, okay? The ability to burst at a transition to me is key to the game. And this is the one thing that I think he lacks a little bit to where, okay, he's playing off coverage because he's worried about getting beat deep. Okay, now the, the guy comes up and he runs a comeback. This is where he falters, he backpedals. And I do not see great acceleration or burst out of the back pedal to then make it play on the ball. That's almost – it's almost it, – it's, it's nothing special is what I would say there. Or, you know, running like this with a guy and boom, I got to stop and then make a drive on the ball. He is not impressive that way. And to me, that does not speak to a first-round corner. It, it sounds like, and just like you wrote down here, it looks like a zone coverage cornerback. Are there teams that are – Heavily zoned where you think he would fit and he would be a great pick. Yeah, definitely. There, there's plenty of those teams. You know, hey, the, the Buffalo Bills like those type of players. The Carolina Panthers like those type of players. I don't know if I could sit here and tell you all the teams that have those draft needs right now, but there are but teams that value zone corners, certainly. They want a guy who is smart. We know he's going to tackle when the, when the run comes out that way or a wide receiver screen. Certainly teams that value players along those lines. But I'm saying to be an elite or top-tier type corner – I got to be able to trust you against really top-tier wide receivers, and I don't think that's the, the case for DeAndre Baker. I'd like to put a bow on these before we yeah. move on. Sounds like if you're a zone team, second round right. would be a good pick. Yes, exactly right. Okay. I think all these guys I got on this list, that's why I kind of cut it off at seven. I think all these guys are going to be first and second round picks. Okay. And then the guys that I don't have on the list from here, yeah, I got questions about them uh, further down the line. Moving up to six, yeah. maybe the best name in the draft yes. at the Temple. Yeah, uh, he's he is a uh, player, Rakia Sin, and I don't. Even, I hope I'm saying that right. There, I think it's Yasin. I think right? so too. Okay, yeah. but either way, okay. So Rakia Sin, the guy I compare him to right off the bat to give you a pro player comparison would be Josh Norman. Okay. Now I have. I think a lot of his movements are a lot like Josh Norman. Now I don't value Josh Norman. Josh maybe. Norman now. Josh, Josh Norman. Josh Norman coming out and the way he is now. The way he is now, though, I think still translates to this guy. Like Josh Norman is again. Not a corner that you put on an island and go, oh, cover Odell Beckham Jr. man-to-man all game long. No, Josh Norman's been primarily a zone corner for the re- of most of his career. You just heard Jay Gruden come out and go, we need more from Josh Norman, yeah. which I basically he is saying we're paying you to be a shutdown island type corner, and we're not being able to use you that way, so you have to earn it this year. But Rocky Sin, yes, to, to me, again, the thing I like about Rocky Sin is extremely twitchy, uh, I mean, Fearless tackler, tackler, can make plays on the ball. Uh, but I do, again, and why he's number six, or number six for me, is I question his top-end speed. And that is an issue for me, especially when you're playing on the outside against, hey, receivers that are going to be able to run 4-3 and fly by you. Uh, I would worry about him in that instance. But the one thing I like about Rockison, I think he has value as a, as a nickel corner, too. Mm. He'd be one of those guys who I say is quicker than fast, right? Mm. You always hear, like, scout, scouts and people who evaluate say that thing. I think that's one of the things with Rockison. Extremely twitchy, has a good initial burst. Right, And when I say initial burst, again, I mean like he's stuck in this position right here and, oh, he sees the ball thrown here, and it's really a quick first two or three steps. But after those few steps, he doesn't cover a lot of, a lot of ground to, to maybe catch up against an Odell Beckham Jr. Right. and make up ground to break up a ball deep down the football field. I also highlighted here in your notes while watching film of him, has really good hips. How does that – Yeah. because we hear that a lot about players right. this time of year. He has great hips. Well, yeah. How does that translate on game day? Yeah, uh, and, and, and again, I'm going to stand up again for this, but hips are, hips are 
I mean, some, one of the two or three most important traits for a, for a DB, okay? And what I mean by hips is this, okay? All right, so here I got a receiver running up the field. I'm running up the field with it. I'm running. Oh, the receiver put the brakes on and ran the comeback or the out route. You know, the ability to just be boom and just flip open, not have to go. Isn't that more more important or used more often than high-end speed? Yeah, yeah, yes, but what happens if you don't have high-end speed, you're not even going to be able to position to break on that ball because you're going to be so worried about, oh, gosh, I have to get stay on top. This guy can run by me. Would be that, yeah, great. Your hips were great. But, you know, well, uh, I mean, your hips, you know, your hips are, were, were they not. They weren't that good. They weren't so that they good. Or they were, you're so slow, your hips were good, but you can't even make a play on the ball anyways because you're out of the screen. Right. But that's where he has special hips. You know, teams running like a post corner. Oh, I'm following him on the post. And, oh, the guy runs out this way. You know, his ability just to seamlessly turn his body and break and run without having to really lose, uh, lose pace. He, yeah. can, he can stay the same speed throughout. That's what I liked about his hips. All right, Rocky Sin at Rocky number Sin. six. We yep. have you had DeAndre Baker, Georgia, at 7-5. This is another player. Right. Murphy, the cornerback out of Washington, who I see higher yeah. than 5, so maybe you don't like him quite as much as others. Yeah, maybe not. And I think with my thing with, with Byron Murphy, and, you know, again, I see good here with Byron Murphy, definitely. Uh, Byron Murphy, to me, is more of a slot corner than an outside corner. That's what I – and to give a pro play comparison to him – I kind of wrote Buster Screen, right? Okay. I wrote Brent Grimes, that type of guy. Even even like a Tredavious White, who we saw a few years coming out of LSU that, that the Buffalo Bills drafted in the first round. Again, I think top end speed is a little scary. He ran 4.55 at the combine. Mm-hmm. He looks like 4.5. And for all those people who go, well, top end speed, is it that important for corner? Yes, it is. Name me the greatest corners of all time. Deion Sanders. Oh, maybe the fastest guy ever in the sport. <laughs> Daryl Green. Oh, maybe one of the fastest guys ever in the history of the sport. Champ Bailey. Oh, really freaking fast. Jalen Ramsey right now. Yeah. Speed is important at the cornerback position. There's no other way to have it. Now, can you be good without having that top-end speed? Certainly. But all I know is the great ones – have had top-end speed. So that's where I always start with it. Now, Murphy, his body control, hips, you know, ability to have, what do I want to say, lack of wasted steps in transition. And, again, I'm going to stand up one more time. Okay, Annie, I'm coming up. But, like, okay, like, you know, hey, the receiver's running a route. I don't want to see a bunch of steps like this to break on the ball. Man, Murphy could just go here and boom and just – Go, and that's what his ability. Efficient, quick movement. Efficient, quick movement. I want to come back to what you said a moment ago. Yeah. Uh, and I'm reading it right here from your notes. The value of Murphy is as a slot cornerback. And yeah. as quarterbacks in passing games go more toward it, they value that person in the slot. Right. Think about how New England had so much success outside of Gronk. Edelman in the slot. If you want to line up and have a chance against New Orleans, if you had a slot exactly. player who could go against Kamara. Cooper Cup with the Rams when he was maybe, healthy. So maybe that's even more important to some teams than a cornerback who can be good on the outside. Yeah, well, no, I think there is. I mean, you know, and again, it might be maybe you already have two good corners on the outside and you go, damn, we need this. The nickel, the nickel back to what you're saying you know, this is not a substitute player anymore. No. The nickelback is a starting NFL football player. It's a it's a out there well more than half the time. Yes, right. And to your to what you're saying, to guard the Julian Edelmans of the world. Hey, Antonio Brown, he makes his way into the slot. You have to have a guy that has special quickness, special hips, yeah. and special feet to be able to stay with what I call these guys that are jitterbugs who are quick as lightning and just and break out. Is Murphy the best, the best one in this Mur- group? He, it's very close. It's him and another guy that we're going to talk about okay. in a few minutes that are in that conversation. But, I, hey, kid tackles. He does that. Only thing I'm going to say negative, again, is just the top-end speed. I just wouldn't be able to trust him on an island outside against the NFL elite on a game-by-game basis. That would be an issue. But inside, if he was inside on the Jarvis Landry's or the Edelman's of the world, right. I like him in those type of matchups. I know these picks are made by general managers, yeah. but if, if I'm inside one of those facilities and I'm a defensive coordinator where my voice is heard, and this is true, if he really is one of the best slot corners in the draft, I would raise my hand and say, give me this guy in the first round. Yeah. This is what we need. Right to go to the next level. No, and I, I think there's a very good chance that that could happen. Again, I don't think Byron Murphy's a top 20 pick or anything like that, but am I going to be shocked? 
Uh, if he's taken somewhere between 25 and 32, no. I certainly think he'd be worthy of, of that kind of status. All right, moving up to the Big Ten now. Yeah. To Michigan State. Yeah, Justin Lane. Right. Uh, I, I, I was impressed with Justin Lane. Justin Lane, you know, I'm not a fan of all the big corners that I we, we that are in the you draft this year. You have him 6'2", 192. 6'2", 192, long, fluid. I mean, silky smooth is what I would say about Justin Lane. Wish his top end speed was a hair more as well, but it's not as concerning to me as some of the other guys. And he's 4'5", he, according to what you He's 4'5", and I would say he plays like it's 4'4", 7", 4'4", okay? Now, so his time is pretty close to what he looks like on the field. But when he bails, you know, to be the counterpoint to what we said about DeAndre Baker, he might bail at times, but he doesn't bail too much to where it takes him out of the competitive part of making a play on the ball, right? He's there to make a play on the ball. But I think as far as smoothness, hips, feet, asked to play a ton of man-to-man on an island by Michigan State, all of those things I thought were phenomenal, let alone his, his ball skills I thought were really good too. I mean, he can cover the quicker, the quicker receiver. He can cover the Nikhil Harrys of the world too and be very competitive with the 50-50 jump balls. Nikhil Harry got one on him. He was all over it. Nikhil Harry's talented guy too. But, you know, the guy I looked at here or, or compared him to was A.J. Bouye. He reminded me of A.J. Bouye coming out of Central Florida who was also like a 4-5 guy who I would say now plays like he's like a looks low faster. four. Yeah, he yeah. looks faster. And, again, with strength and learning better techniques and growing older as a man and a human, mm-hmm. you can get faster and a little bit more explosive even when you're 20, 21, 22 years old. You know that. And I think that's something that, you know, he certainly can improve. I really liked his game, everything about it, his technique, his instincts were all off the charts uh, he's a really complete football player. I just worried, like I said, about his top-end speed. That would be the only concern I have. And everybody loves comparisons this time of year, not just us, but I think the personnel people inside the buildings as well. Does it help him or hurt him that there have been first-round corners from Michigan State here recently? No, it's going to – well, I, it could it could hurt a little because people are going to go, oh, Trey Waynes wasn't as good as we thought, right? Darquez Denard. So, Darquez Denard wasn't as good as we thought. Certainly that is going to go into this. That's going to go – the question with Michigan State is going to be, man – they're good at recruiting DBs. They coach them at a very high level. Do they have a whole lot of room to grow, or is they kind of maxed out? I think that's what you have to take with Michigan State-type corners. I do think this guy doesn't need to grow a whole lot more. I think it's all there for him already. Uh, he can jam me at the line of scrimmage. His feet, his ability to mirror receivers off the line of scrimmage is phenomenal. And his ability to make plays on the ball and hips and transition were smooth and effortless. I just wish he had a little bit more of a top-end gear. And then he would be talked about as a top-20 pick, but I don't think he's going to get there. All right, moving up to number three. And this is I, – I really like your list because you're either higher or lower on these corners than most, so there's some pretty good talking points here. Julian Love, Notre Dame. Yeah, at Ju- three. Julian higher Love. Higher than most. I, I guess I am, and certainly. And I guess I'm higher than most usually most of the time anyways, especially <laughs> on the weekends, Paul. Okay? Weekdays? <laughs> yeah. Nah, I try to control, control with the weekends only. Smart. But Julian is uh, – I'll throw out my, my player comparison right off the bat. Remind me of a guy I played with right, off, right away, Rondé Barber. That's I thought, grace. yes, I know, because the guy is a complete football player. I also threw another name in there, Chris Harris Jr., who's one of the best nickel cover, cover corners in all of football. Now, where I like Julian Love, he has the ability to be that nickel cover corner. Certainly, he's got the quickness. He's got the hips. You know, he's got the ability to stick his foot in the ground like a wide receiver and break on a ball seamlessly without really losing any speed or anything like that. All of that's top-notch. But what I liked about Julian Love is he does have outside value as well. And here, as a guy who ran 4-5-4 and slower than Justin Lane, I just watched the film and sorry, he's not not on the field. He's not slower than yeah, Justin how Lane. Much, how much does it help him that, we, that we're there on Saturdays, you see him yes. often yes. from field level? Yes, so, see him and often. Where it helps me with a guy like this is I know the person. So that makes me feel sure. good about the person and the player. Now, I will say this, when I turned on the film, I said, damn, Julian Love's better than I even gave him credit for in, in person. What really was the first thing him. you saw in film? That made uh, you say I think that? that he was a little, he, his speed was a little better than I gave him credit for. You know, he runs easy. He's such a smooth athlete, but he can run 
with some of the receivers they had to play this year that were burners down the field. He had no problem turning and running that way. But it's the other stuff that I also like to it. You know, again, his ability to turn his hips, you know, stick his feet in the ground, come up and make tackles, you know, uh, and throw his body around, I thought were all off the charts. And I wrote down, I thought, if you would have made me guess before watching this film, I would have said he ran 4-4-7, something, something along that. And another context clue is he was asked to play man-to-man a lot yeah. on an island mm-hmm. versus the other team's top receivers. And they got good defensive coaches there at Notre Dame who know what the hell they're doing. And if they trusted him, uh, I think that says a lot, too, about what they thought of him as a player, that they could go, hey, you got him. Now we can do other things with the guys in secondary to help out other people or, you know, a part of the offensive formation that, you know, we don't like when they get in this formation. Now we can shift the coverage over there. Did, did you notice things on tape that – others saw and docked him for that you had to get yourself past? Uh, I, I, can't say, I can't say that I did. Because it, it's common to see him outside the top five. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure. And, you know, I, you know, I don't know why, though. Mm-hmm. I just don't know what you could see on tape to go, what's not to like about the guy? You know, the only thing, okay, he's 5'11". If you don't want to let Shouldn't be a problem. It shouldn't be a problem. If you don't like his 4'5", 440, okay. I mean, I know it's not great, but it, he plays faster than that. Uh, And, you know, the other thing that I thought was impressive, he is great at anticipating routes. And he's not a jumping route. He's anticipating. To me, there's a difference. Yes, because he anticipates it to me, which would be a context clue to show he studies receivers and he studies offenses to kind of go, ooh, when they get in this formation, I saw in film, they like to run the out route a lot. And he wasn't jumping it before the quarterback looked over there, like just taking a chance, going, oh, I think, you know, he kind of waited for the context clues to go, oh, I think the out's coming. I'm going to get all over it. And he would be there to make a play on the ball or maybe just a bam-bam type of play. But those are things that jumped out to me. I thought that took him to uh, the, the next level. And replacing him on campus in South Bend, a big deal this spring, shameless plug, Chris Doug Flutie and I will be calling the spring game yeah. next, next Saturday. Yeah, we'll be on there. NBCSN. I know. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But yeah. I know I thought this with Notre Dame people or, or fans that watched Notre Dame all year last year. Everybody, oh, Notre Dame's overrated. Notre Dame's overrated. Notre Dame's got a lot of NFL football players yes, on their do. team, and yeah. they've. You know, and Julian Love is one of them, and Jerry Tillery is going to be, you know, a top 45 pick, and Tavon Coney is going to be picked at middle linebacker somewhere in the first three rounds. Drew Tranquil will get picked. Drew Tranquil is going to get picked, right. The running back, Dexter Williams, is going to get drafted. Two defensive ends that didn't come out will 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 be picked eventually. Right. Notre Dame was the real deal. Let's not forget. I know they lost to Clemson, but um, damn, Clemson wiped the floor with Alabama, too. Let's not not forget that point. Awesome segue. Perhaps the best I've seen here in in our four or five times. Because up next. Next, <laughs> up next to corner, we move to two and go to Clemson, Trayvon Mullen. Yeah, Trayvon Mullen, to me, is the surprise. And, you know, again, I'm like you. I don't pay too much attention to all the mock drafts and everything that has to be said in the world. I want to do my own homework and look at the guys for myself. I don't want to have any, like, preordained thoughts as I go into the process. Now, yeah, I realized that I did not see Trayvon Mullen's name at the top of a lot of people's list. I don't know why. Okay, that's where I mean, Trayvon Mullen is grossly one of the most underrated players in the draft to this point that I've seen. Again, he's at Clemson. He is on an island as much as anybody in the draft, okay? And I respect the hell out of Dabo Sweeney and their defensive coordinator, um, Damon, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, from he's well. the old uh, Brent Ven- Venerables. There you go. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Brent Venerables, what? Those are two of the best coaches in college football. Clemson goes, Trayvon Mullen, you go over there and play man-to-man, and we're going to play zone on the other side of the football. So that tells you the type of respect they have for Trayvon Mullen. There's nothing to not like about Trayvon Mullen. He has got phenomenal hips. He's got a phenomenal jam at the line of scrimmage. His ability to turn and run is as good as everybody in this draft, except for maybe Greedy Williams, who... And most importantly, Chris yeah. wrote down the middle of his first page of notes, has better legs and ass than Greedy Williams. Well, he does. He, can't he, believe you waited two minutes. I, I, right? I was, uh, what was I doing? Yeah. But, yes, because he's got a little bit more muscle and structure to him than Greedy Williams or Justin Lane. There's a little bit more muscle to him compared to them, and I'm, I'm using them because they're the taller, longer corners in this draft. Uh, Trayvon Mullen, 6'1", 199, ran 4'4", 6", and... 
I would say his film looked like he ran, let's say, 4-4-2, 4-4-1. But I didn't see anything in his game. He has phenomenal ball skills to locate the ball. He's not one of those guys that's running down the field and let's say the quarterback's down there and he just waits for your hands as the receiver to knock it down. He kind of, oh, the hands are going up and he locates the ball and tries to make a play on it and knock it away. I thought that was phenomenal. And then his ability to burst out of breaks and do the things that we talked about earlier in the, in the segment, I mean, it was top-notch. I just don't know what's not to like about it. For, and the, for, a, for a cynic who would yeah. say, okay, they were up by three or four touchdowns every game. They had yep. three first-round picks in the front seven. Um, he ought to be able to look good back there. What's your response yeah, to that? Yeah, well, my response to that is still a look at the positions the coaches are asking him to be in. And a lot of the times, yeah, you're right, they were winning games. And you know what the teams that had to do yeah, to I travel? Had to throw a lot. They had to throw a yeah. lot. So they were, he went, oh, gosh, we got to throw. And a lot of the times they were like, eh, we won't mess with this guy over here. Let's, let's go to the other side or work the concept or whatever it may be. But, yeah, I mean, I just thought his acceleration, his burst were off the charts. Uh, his ability to start, stop, reaccelerate. And some of the names I wrote down, I wrote down Marcus Peters. I wrote down Kyle, Ful- Kyle Fuller for the Chicago Bears, who's one of the better corners in football. Yeah, I would. I always come back to this. Would I trust this guy on an island 25 to 30 times a game against Odell Beckham Jr. or Antonio Brown and those type of guys? That, to me, is when you're getting into elite status. And with Trayvon Mullen, I look at it and go, yeah, I would trust it. I don't think he's going to win all the time, but he's in the athletic class to mess with those guys and be there. Why is he not worth a pick in, in the teens or early he, 20s? He, he, you know, I would say he's, he's around that range. I do think he is worthy of that. With his size, speed measurables, uh, yeah, I think he is worthy of, you know, somewhere between, let's say, 18 and 25, I think. You know, I think the problem with, the, with some of the DBs in this draft is just there's so many good front seven players. Right. And then, back. right, they're going to get pushed back a little bit because uh, the premium is going to be some of those guys early on in the first round. You can find good value. You can find good value. Exactly or in the right. second. Right. All right, we have arrived at number one, and I kind of gave it away. I, we were talking I did about too. Legs Sorry. Right. Everybody Williams, knew where so we were going there. Greedy Williams at number one. Yeah. Why? Greedy Williams at number one because, you know, hey, flat out. There's just not a lot of a lot of people on planet Earth who are six two and can run and move the way he does. I think that's where it all starts out. I mean, it's a special special skill set to be that size uh, and be able to move that way. And you know, all the movement skills, whether it's flipping his hips or again the footwork or the ability to just put the foot in the ground and burst out and make plays on the ball, all are there. It's it's top notch. I mean, he is he is a big time specimen and football player. However, yes, you right. wrote down. Uh, I really like the player, but yep. I'm not blown away. Yeah, I was not blown away to the, you know, and this is what stinks for some of the top end guys, because I guess I hear so much praise about these guys. I was expecting, damn, I'm going to turn on and see Jalen Ramsey. Right. So that's where in my notes it comes out to go. Ah, I'm a little disappointed because. You know, I watch football and watch all these highlight shows and college football, and everybody was telling me, man, this guy's a superstar, superstar. He might be, but I just wasn't as, you know, jaw-dropped as maybe I thought I was going to be in the process. Um, how, how sold are you that he is a firm number one and Trayvon Mullen can't catch him at number two? Yeah, I think um, uh, it, it's, it's close, but I don't think that Trayvon Mullen quite has the extra – he has an extra gear, but Greedy's got two extra gears. And I think, yes, with just the little bit of extra length in which he plays in, yeah, I think Greedy's got a, a slight notch over a Trayvon Mullen. I, I really like Trayvon Mullen, but I think the, the straight top-end speed puts it over the top for Greedy. Greedy can run with anybody. Greedy's biggest problem is he's not used to anybody being a foot in front of him. And if somebody even remotely gets in front of him or anything, he holds. And that is an issue that I am worried about, not with him, DeAndre Baker. They hold to where when I watch the film at times, I go, man, this is not going to be realistic in the NFL. You're going to be a walking pass interference call. And I think Greedy Williams, that's the one issue I have with his game. Trey Waynes, who came out of Michigan State, we just brought that name up a few minutes ago. He was kind of a guy who I said he has a similar style yeah. and makeup that Trey Waynes does. And Trey Waynes had the same issue. You talked about with the defensive ends how some of the guys have traits but just and their issues can be coached out of them. Yeah, right. Or some of the traits you just can't coach into them. A guy who holds a lot. I know. Is that something that he, he could be coached? 
and it let can, that go? It can be coached, but it's hard. It is. It's a, it's a lot of work. Because he's probably been doing it since high school. Exactly right? right. And in the SEC, where they let the defenders play a little bit more maybe than the rest of college football, he got away with some where I was just like, holy crap, are you kidding me? Nobody's going to call that? You know, so yes, he's going to be the type of guy where I think they're going to have to put oven mitts on him or something during practice and really stay on him about using him. There's no need for some of the times that he holds where I want to go, damn, dude, you're right in this hip pocket. Just kind of read the guy's body language, stick your foot in the ground and try to run the route with him. You don't have to like run the route before he runs the route. Right. Uh, so there, there is great strength. You know, his speed is great. And I, the guy I came to at the end of the day more than anybody was Dominique Rogers Cromartie. That's who he reminded me of. And I know DRC, you know, some might view him, he's a little bit of a knucklehead. But, man, when his prime, DRC was pretty special in the NFL. You could put him on islands against the fastest receivers in football, and he can hang in there. Is Williams a better tackler? He is. He's definitely a better tackler, yes. He, really, I was pretty impressed with all these guys tackling. I mean, none of them were like – oh, gosh, damn, if the sweep comes to their side, they're going to do anything they can not to. Mm-hmm. I thought all of them had enough physicality to where I would feel comfortable making, making tackles in space. For everyone with us on YouTube and can see a screen, let's throw the, the rankings back up, one through seven. At number one, Greedy Williams, LSU. Two, Trayvon Mullen, Clemson. And then it goes down to tier two, you say there. Number yep. three, Julian Love, Notre Dame. Four, Justin Lane, Michigan State, five. Byron Murphy, Washington, six. Rocky Sin Temple, seven. DeAndre Baker, Georgia. Tier one to tier two, what is that and how big of a difference is that? Yeah, I think tier one is what I have there is I go, these are definite outside island guys where I go, we can trust them against the upper class of receivers in the NFL. You only had two of those. I only had two of those where I go, yes, Julian Love is close and I would trust him a lot of the time, but not all the time. And I think he's got a little bit more of a nickel value into that. These guys I look at and go, no, these are outside, shutdown type corners. Like I said, we're playing A.J. Green. We're playing Julio Jones. And we need you to get in the face of these guys. And we got to trust you like the Patriots trust the stuff on Gilmore on third and seven that you can play man-to-man this guy and it's not going to become a highlight later on on NBC Sports or something like that. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and who is, uh, just because I think it's so important right. right now, who's the best slot cover corner in that top Yeah, I, I think I would give it I would give it to Julian. It's between Julian Love and Byron Murphy. I think those two guys right there I look at. I would probably go with Julian Love just because uh, I think there is a little bit more top-end speed and – his ability to recognize plays, I thought, was special. That's where I looked at it like Rondé Barber. There was times where, you know, he sees the toss coming his way, and damn, he's in the hole before the running back's gotten there. He's real, oh, I've seen this on film all week. I'm going to read and react and shoot my gun and get up there and make the play. And that's where I go, that's what a good nickel needs to be. You need to be able to blitz. You need to be able to stop the outside run. Oh, they ran the bubble screen to the slot receiver. you got to be able to aggressively come up there and accelerate and make the tackle. That's where Julian Love is kind of special other niches they're going to have to get into which corner you think is best at covering a really really big wide receiver yeah or maybe even a tight end yeah I think that would be like Justin Lane out of the group we talked about you know Justin Lane has the physicality unbelievable technique where if he had to play a Travis Kelsey or he had to play an Alshon Jeffrey uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles He's going to be right at home. There's not going to be any problem. And, and then the example I used was Nikhil Harry. Mm-hmm. Nikhil Harry is a big receiver who's not real fast, tries to win with physicality, and he was all over him. Nikhil Harry made some plays because he's unbelievable catching 50-50 and jump balls, but he was not overmatched by the size and power element of that. Now, there's other guys in this, though. You know, Other guys that are close to making your Who are close to or? making the list and things like that where I just want to go. Who's you know, your favorite right outside the list? You know, Lonnie Johnson from Kentucky is a guy that I liked a lot, but lacked top end speed. Like, I thought, like, guys like him, Amani, uh, uh, or, or I'm going to mess his name, uh, Arurae, I can't even say it right, from Penn State. He's a go. corner there, right? He's a bigger type guy. These are guys where I look at and go, uh, they need to look at them as playing safeties in the NFL at the end of the day. And I'm not so sure that's not even the case with, like, a DeAndre Baker for Georgia, where maybe he's a, you a nickel slash – Who you had nickel slash, seven corner. Right, nickel slash, 
you know, third safety on the field versus certain personnel sets or certain down and distances. Because he can tackle and be aggressive and has quickness, he can fit those type of roles. But again, I don't think his top end speed is good enough on the outside for me to trust him against the Julio Jones of the world. So that's where I kind of fell into the next group of guys where I go, yeah, these are nice corners in college, but I'm not sure we can trust them to play corner in the NFL. Josh, gotcha. you remember Josh Jackson from Iowa? I do. Right, from last year. was last a second-round second pick for the Green Bay Packers. Packers. Yeah. There was a lot of those type of guys in the draft where I go, Josh Jackson's really good football player. He's a great zone corner. But you can't trust him man-to-man. And as the Green Bay Packers found out this year, they kind of had to make him a safety almost right. to a degree. Or that guy that can play on the inside, got great instincts. If the ball touches his hand, he's going to intercept it. All oh, that's great. But to me, a top-tier corner, you got to be able to put him on the outside against the elite NFL receivers and feel like, okay, we're not overmatched here. And that's why the two guys at the top uh, is Greedy Williams and Trayvon Mullen for me. I think we've hit it all. Yeah. Derek Carr, so. the situation in Oakland. We re- revisited the Did I the explain my rushers? situation with Derek Carr and John Gruden, right? Okay, he good. He did. I want to make sure. I can blabber sometimes. And we went through the top seven corners, and we're looking forward to next week doing it with the interior defensive Yeah, I, uh, definitely. I think we might even hit two positions. We might get interior D linemen, maybe even get to some linebacker talk, try to you know, kill two birds with one stones. But appreciate everybody tuning in. Again, get into the feedback. Get at me at C-Sims. Send the tweets. Yeah, at C-Sims we'll read the QB. best ones. Uh, you know, at Sims on Button on Instagram, YouTube.com slash NBC Sports if you want to wa- watch us. And we got Rashawn Gary coming on tomorrow for our Thursday end of the weekend Good podcast. Jersey connection. Jersey love, baby. That's damn right. But thanks as always, Good man. Good to see you. You're the man. For Burmeister, for Sims, peace out, homies. We're out of here. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.